Abolition. Abolition. People are fearful of crime, so whenever one is charged with a crime, a lot of time it doesn't make a difference whether or not this person is innocent or guilty. They feel some people feel, and I've heard jurors say, "Well, this individual here, they must have done something." This is a type of mentality that is cultured. I mean, it is you know nurtured in, in, in American society. I think while we focus on the condition of confinement, I think the bigger focus is on prison. I think we have to begin to see prison as being a tantamount or equal to slavery. I think people in the United States need to know that uh, the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery. Instead, the 13th Amendment, you know, if you read the word and it says slavery and involuntary servitude shall exist on these shores except one who has been duly convicted of a crime. How many people who have been duly convicted of crime but who are actually innocent? Because as long as we have prison, slavery reigns. Can't go to schools or read Cause who's gonna serve my master Also the pastor describes all my people last The sheep who exist to upkeep the land We feed the economy Creep all the crops that then feed on it modestly Consciously knowing you're lesser than And lighter skin means that you're better now So you in the house taking wits And probably dick Cause well you a fetish now Meanwhile I'm grateful for all that I'm giving I'm picking this cotton in rhythm I pray for a lot of the living Escaping is probably a sin And if God ever finds out that I want my freedom Well damn then God's gonna call in the wrath Two horses with opposite mass Those nooses they up in the trees And I'm hanging but I'll never fall like my pants Then came the 13th amendment Written in 1865 It says slavery is over Accepted, paid for doing crime And then the things that they made illegal Are things you associate with people Who now education isn't equal And they getting paid enough to eat So we stealing and jugging and shit We need to be fully equipped The system the new slave master Brought in to stop us and bullying shit Cause before we were stealing and jugging The laws we was breaking was loitering we go to the bend and we can't pay to find out the jail is who your employer is. This voyage is super intentional. You used to be students in medical. The more than indigenous blacks were the smartest and honestly truest professionals. Literally teaching you about chemicals. My history isn't viewed on a pedestal. Try to tell me only few of my ancestors had anything to offer. If we wasn't strong, you would never bother. If we wasn't awesome, you'd never put all of your resources in just to get to conquer. If we ain't a problem, then why would you want all the youngest who black not to have a father? Cause slavery showed black youth for mad years that whiteness is right. Your mom getting fucked, your dad getting whipped. But white is the light, and sometimes master blesses you for being a good slave And kills you off if you a bad one So black mothers tell their daughters fuck the master And they tell their sons they can't run Mama raised the girls independent And she raised the boys out of fear These days black women representing the struggle that these black boys trying to clear Man, we have so much work to do
Abolition. Max, if you're talking, I can't hear you. You may be on mute. Uh, can you hear me now, brother? I can hear <laughs> sorry you. about that. You just heard That's Robert okay. King. I'm sorry about that, family. You just heard Robert King of the Angola Three, followed by Javier Mighty in the song 13. Robert King spent a total of 32 years in the infamous Angola prison, 29 of those years being tortured in solitary confinement before his case was finally overturned. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. My name is Max Parthas. I'm joined by my co-host, Yusuf Hassan. Peace, Brother Yusuf. Peace and blessings be upon you, Max, and upon our entire listening audience. Man, we done put 26 nails in this damn slavery's coffin so far. We're up to 26 now, right? <laughs> Woo. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's a uh, just here at Abolition Today. Uh, last week, we celebrated the launch of the Abolish Slavery National Network with guests Utah State Rep. Sandra Hollins and the president of March On Foundation, Eve Herwitz. Today, we discuss human trafficking and warehousing bodies, which occurs under today's system of legalized slavery through the prison industry. Before we do that, of course, as always, let's go ahead and check in with my brother Yusuf, talk about the a little bit about our week, and of course, start out with, how did you like that intro, man? Wasn't that hot? <laughs> Woo. That was a really good intro. Uh, Robert King, I was fortunate to meet Robert King and... Uh, Albert Woodfox, you know, when we had the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March in Washington, got their book, you know, uh, Very Deep Brothers, uh, didn't have the conversation I wanted to have with them that day because it was just too hot, <laughs> yes. you know, but uh, the, the track, that, she said so much in that track, man. I know, man. So I'll be a mighty. And yeah, those nooses, they up in the trees, and I'm hanging, but I'll never fall like my pants. Then came the yep. 13th Amendment, written in 1865. It said slavery is over, except it's pay for doing time. Mm-hmm. And, and the things that they made illegal are things you associate with people. And it, it's just, she said so many things in that song, man. Yeah, she broke so it down. Many. I love it. I love it, man. I thought it was a wonderful introduction to today's program and also inspiring because, you know, we want the artists out there to talk about these issues, and they are uh, loud and clear, and you can hear them right here on Abolition today. So, uh, how's yeah, your week been, a, man? That was great. I had a great week, and, you know, I have to start off by giving tremendous props to Columbia University, specifically the uh, Tamer Center for Social Enterprise because, you know, this week we conducted a, uh, what we call it, 
a re-entry simula- sim- uh, simulation, which was simulating the things that formerly incarcerated go through when they come home. And one of the things was just acquiring three pieces of identification, birth certificate, social security card, and a state ID. And the volunteers, I was actually running the ID station, and I ran it the way my experiences were, you know, when first coming home from incarceration, you know, to show that that in itself is stressful. You know, people coming home from incarceration have so so many obstacles to overcome, but the things that you think would be the easiest for them to do, just obtaining, you know, identification of a very difficult, and then it's all downhill from there. So I applaud the university for that because this is this is going to be part of a national report to show how we can facilitate these things for people coming home so they can at least get started on the right foot because we know with you and I pushing on the 13th Amendment, Amendment and the Abolished Slavery National Network and all the others out there, we know that eventually it's going to bring a lot of people home. And so when they come home, we want to be able to facilitate them reentering society and just being able to get off on the right foot. So this is a step in the right direction, and I applaud them for that. Amen. So that was really like the bulk of my week right there, just dealing with that. It was a great effort, and again, I just applaud them for doing it. An ounce of prevention beats a pound of cure. Isn't that what they say? So if you're ready yes, sir. to get a, yeah, that that's beautiful. And you do get them jobs, from what I understand. Uh, and also, Absolutely. Columbia University it made history a few years back when they were the first universities to divest from their prison stocks, uh, which leads us into some of the things that are coming up on our schedules, man. Uh, let's let the people know about those things. Well, sure. Uh, later tonight, we'll have a representative of the October 26th through 30th, free to 13th national virtual and physical rally calling in to break down their efforts in support of repealing and replacing the 13th Amendment. Woo. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I, when I heard about that, and I'm glad that uh, we're allowed, we're there to give them some counsel and assistance as well. Um, also this month, yours truly will be part of oral arguments, uh, an oral argument panel explaining the connections of Harvard University with modern legal slavery under the 13th Amendment and for-profit prisons worldwide. It's a series of events throughout the month, which include divestment campaigns regarding Harvard and a lawsuit levied against Harvard, hence the oral arguments. Wow, that's amazing, Max. Also, I want to make a point that the Abolished Slavery National Network has grown tremendously in a single week with multiple state representatives, organizations, and individuals flocking to the cause in mass. We've been informed by the fiscal sponsors of March On that they expect this to go viral within four to six weeks. Be sure to join us as a group, organization, legislator, or as an individual by signing up at abolishslavery.us. 
Be sure to make a tax-deductible donation if you can to help keep the movement moving. Word. Keep the movement moving. <laughs> moving. Uh, I want to let everybody know that our teammate, Jeanette Smith, is in really bad shape. Uh, she broke, from what I understand, both her wrists. Uh, so as we normally share the information in real time, that's Jeanette that does that, and she'd be right on top of it. So we won't be able to do that tonight. We'll go in after the program and then put up the stuff that is all relevant to it. Because uh, as some know, man, our archives where we do the actual research before the show is just full of stuff. I mean, we go through so much material to be able to present to you uh, what we try to put together in this short period of time. And also, this Thursday, we're going to be presenting a brand new program under Abolition Today. And I don't want to give too much away. I just want to make sure that you know to follow both Yusuf and myself on social media uh, so you can keep uh, up to date on what's happening. We're going to make history on Thursday, so follow us so you can see what happens. All right, so Yusuf, today's topic is human trafficking and uh, warehousing bodies, man. So, you know, I know you pulled a lot of stuff together, and tonight you got the lead on this one. So uh, you want to start with the human trafficking aspect first? Sure, I'll do that. And uh, like you said, there's so much that, you know, hopefully it doesn't sound like I'm rambling. So if I start <laughs> going off on a tangent, make sure you reel me back in. <laughs> All right, I got you. Okay, so most people assume that the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution wholly abolished legal, legalized slavery in the United States in any form. The reality, however, is that the 13th Amendment contained one important exception, prison labor. Those who've been duly convicted, quote-unquote, of a crime can still legally be forced to work in this country, and that exception has been a driving force for how our prison system looks today and the mass incarceration of black Americans. The United States defines labor trafficking as the recruitment harboring, transportation, provision, or obtaining of a person for labor or services through the use of force, fraud, or coercion for the purpose of subjection to involuntary servitude, peonage, debt bondage, or slavery. Prison labor, prison labor often fits this description. And when we look further into this, also, Max, let me know if I'm having any mic problems. Okay. How do I sound so far? So far, so good. Okay. Now, the United States defines labor trafficking as the recruitment, harboring, transportation, provision. I just read that, so I'm not going to repeat that. And as part of this labor trafficking... At times, or many times, people are sentenced in one state and transferred to another state to serve out their time. And in 1934, what was signed was called the Interstate Corrections Compact. The Interstate Corrections Compact is an interstate compact. 
There are 38 states and the District of, of Columbia included as member states in the compact, and it also has congressional consent. All states in the nation are eligible to join the compact, and it allows administrative and judicial officers to participate in contracts and agreements coordinating care, treatment, and rehabilitation, yeah, right, for offenders in correctional facilities among different states. That's how it's defined. Now, in reality, happening is these interstate transfer of prisoners or the practice of transferring incarcerated people to out-of-state prisons is detrimental to criminal justice policies that hurt families. The practice impedes prisoner rehabilitation by diminishing prisoners' ties to family and community, compromising rather than enhancing the public good. Interstate transfers of prisoners to private for-profit prisons serves the interest of an industry that views prisoners as commodities and perpetuate our nation's mass incarceration crisis. Today, there are more than 10,500 state prisoners incarcerated in private for-profit prisons outside of their home states. Currently, four states, California, Vermont, Idaho, and Hawaii, house prisoners in out-of-state private prisons, while West Virginia is moving forward with a plan that could move up to 400 prisoners to private out-of-state prisons. While little public scrutiny... State officials have pointed to overcrowding as justification for sending incarcerated people to out-of-state prisons. Rather than prioritizing decarceration and sustainable alternatives to incarceration to address prison overcrowding. The lack of state laws regulating interstate transfers of prisoners has allowed state officials to send incarcerated people to out-of-state private prisons en masse without their consent. Currently, prisoners in out-of-state private facilities are held approximately 450 miles to nearly 3,000 miles from their home states. Using the most recent available contracts and government reports, we estimate that states will collectively spend hundreds of millions of dollars this year incarcerating state prisoners in private prisons outside of their home states. Now, what I describe as the modern-day slave trade is the practice of either paying another state to hold your state's prisoner or trading prisoners one-to-one. So, for example, in California, it costs $76 a day to hold a prisoner from Maine or having an agreement between Maine and California that they will trade one California prisoner for one Maine prisoner. This practice of outsourcing punishment to other states was illegal or uncommon for about the first century of U.S. history. So we're talking the 1600s to 1700s. And that began to change in the 1920s through the middle of the 20th century of states started to find ways to share prison beds and share prison populations. Today, the practice of trading prisoners across state lines has been upheld by courts as legal and is increasingly common, but it is concentrated in certain states. It's not unconstitutional for someone convicted of a crime in Massachusetts, say for burglary, to end up serving his time in Arizona or Alaska. 
Vermont contracted with CCA, Corrections Corporation of America, to house inmates in out-of-state private prisons beginning in the mid-1990s, and has continued the practice. About 500 prisoners are held outside the state of Vermont. These prisoners cost half as much as the prisoners in state because of the economies of scale in larger prisons and because only healthy prisoners are exported. In the past, Vermont had prisoners at the Lee Adjustment Center in Bettyville, Kentucky, but that facility is now closed, so they're held at Florence Correction Center in Florence, Arizona, which is also which is a CCA property. And Vermont also has contracts with GEO Group and transferred out-of-state prisoners to the North Lake Correctional Facility in Michigan. Vermont now contracts with Core Civic, which we know that that's just a rebranding of CCA, to house inmates out of state at the Tallahatchie Correctional Facility in Mississippi. Now, Hawaii, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Wyoming have some of the highest rates of prisoner transfer. In Hawaii, nearly half or up to three-quarters of prisoners are transferred out of state. What's interesting is that the state's that have mentioned Hawaii, Vermont, New Hampshire, Wyoming, aren't the typical states that are talked about when the topic of high incarceration rates come up. We tend to talk about Texas, California, Florida, (coughs) sorry, and states with harsh systems like Alabama or Mississippi, Louisiana. But I discovered it's the small and sparsely populated states that were transferring the most. Hawaii and Vermont are interesting in particular because the story seems to be a political dynamic in so-called blue states where there is a significant opposition to prison construction. One surprising and perhaps perverse feature of this story is that states that are opposing to building prisons are not incarcerating at lower rates. They are still sending as many people into the prison system And those people get sent thousands of miles away. So people opposing prison construction in those states are licensing long-distance incarceration. They are sending more people to prison than they can hold. That's certainly what's happening in Hawaii and Vermont. There's different stories in each of these states. In some states, it's about a political dynamic where people prefer to privatize imprisonment, and then prisoners get outsourced to the cheapest location. I want to know what uh, Bernie Sanders thinks about this. I was surprised Vermont was near the top of the list. You wouldn't think states known for, you know, some of its more benevolent uh, policies would be the states outsourcing prisoners in these numbers. One other interesting dynamic that appears to be happening in budget-strapped states. Delaware, for instance, couldn't negotiate to pay overtime for their correctional staff, and they have a balanced budget requirement. So they sent hundreds of prisoners to Pennsylvania. Prisoners are transferred and then states can avoid paying some corrections officers. In those cases, it's about unionized prison officers. This is essentially like an x-ray of all of the politics of imprisonment. And, you know, while we're on this topic, you know, I'd, I'd share a personal story, something that I don't do a lot of. But when I was incarcerated in New York, you know, when you 
when you first get sent into the New York State prison system, you know, depending on your classification, you're either going to go to downstate, which is a maximum security facility where, you know, most of the intake is done, or you'll be sent to Ulster Correctional Facility, usually where someone's going to go to medium or minimum. But when I got to Ulster, I went to Ulster Correctional Facility, and they have you fill out all kinds of forms, and you're basically just waiting to be transferred to wherever they're going to send you in the prison system. And from there, I was sent to the Oneida Hub, and it's just a facility where people go, and then you get transferred to all the – it's about eight or nine jails in each hub. And so when you get to the hub facility, that's where they do a skills – they do all kinds of skills assessment tests on you. You know, they test you for dexterity. You have you, like, working with screwdrivers and wrenches and – you know, of course, there are written tests, you know, testing you, your, your written skills and your uh, reading levels and your math levels. And from there, they determine what facility they're going to send you to based on your scores. And I found it ironic that their term for the transfer is called being on the draft. You know, they say, so-and-so, you on the draft. You know, and back then, I just, you know, I didn't know what I knew now when it comes to the 13th Amendment and legalized slavery, but I just thought it was odd. And I actually see it as that I was actually being traded. You know, it was no different than, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, someone working the fields in Angola and they needed a certain skill of a person in say, South Carolina, so it was just, okay, you take them and you trade the person off, and that's what was actually happening. I was being traded from one jail to another, and probably someone else was sent in my place, switching beds, basically. Based on your skill set. Based on my skill set. So I was sent there because uh, I had skills and electronics. And so I actually went there and I was actually fixing all the TVs and radio equipment from every prison in that hub. And the civilian who ran the shop always had to fill out a form anytime I fixed something. And the form, right on the form, it's telling them how much money they saved by having me do it as opposed to them having a professional you know, electrician do it or, you know, electronic technician do it. So there's there's a huge paper trail for it. And I'm just, I just wanted to add it in there because I've personally experienced it. So this isn't like a situation where I think or I feel or I'm reading, you know, stuff that other people have written that they think or they feel about it. But I've personally been through it. So I absolutely know that it is labor trafficking you know, and it's it's just legalized slavery, just using a different name for it, Max. Right, right. I'm feeling you on that one, man. Um, well, basically, you know, from what I understand, what you just shown us, <clears throat> and you're probably going to show us more during the show as well, is how uh, it's really illegal 
to traffic human beings across state lines to places where they did not commit a crime. But because of this uh, agreement that the interstate prisons have amongst each other, they can somehow legally do that. And in not just your case, but other cases, people are transferred from one prison to another based on the type of job they can do. Because, you know, like in California, there's almost 70 facts, (laughs) you know? So this is human trafficking. And, you know, Arizona's a hub for all of that. Arizona has like 48 freaking prisons. It's amazing. And that's not counting all the federal prisons and immigration detention centers and youth detentions and all that. That's just the uh, state prisons. They got 48 of them. And it's a central hub for prisoners from all over the world, including Hawaii. Hawaii, 3,000 miles away, sent to Arizona. How are your family going to visit you? It's exploitative as well as illegal. You know, let's go a little bit deeper into that with a quick break so we can hear some of the ideology that we're dealing with right now. And this is a current event that's going on. I want everybody to hear what the Kenosha, Wisconsin sheriff said about warehousing black people. Um, Now, this is going to piss you off when you hear this. So I'm letting you know in advance. And I added a little levity at the end to bring you back, okay? But this is really, really bad. If the chiefs of police are thinking like this, we're already way over the line, y'all. We'll be right back after you hear this. Abolition. Abolition. And I'm to the point that I think society has to come to a threshold where there's some people that aren't worth saving. We need to build warehouses to put these people into it and lock them away for the rest of their lives. At some point, we have to get to, to the point that we lock these people up. We, we have an agent assigned to each and every person that goes through the court system. And if they can't complete high school, if they get in trouble in high school, if they have a criminal record, if they do drive-by shootings, if they uh, sell or give heroin to other people, if they come and steal thousands of dollars, if we don't think this costs society and the people of our community and our nation, if, it, if we don't think that that costs us billions of dollars, you're wrong. Let's put them in jail. Let's, let's stop them from truly, at least some of these males, going out and getting 10 other women pregnant and having small children. Let's put them away. At some point, we have to stop being politically correct. And I don't care what race, I don't care how old they are. If there's a threshold that they cross, these people have to be warehoused. No recreational time in the jails. We put them away. We put them away for the rest of their lives so that the rest of us can be better. In this country, in this community, in this state, we have to get to the point that we no longer will put up with the garbage people that fill our communities, that are our cancer to our society. The ones that do uh, carjackings in Milwaukee, they go into a car while their child is in the back seat because it's running and they're filling it up with gas. These people are not an asset to society. These people just need to flat out go away. Take our black asses out of here. Won't you take our black asses out of here? Won't you come save us, catch up, and kill all these crackers? Take our black asses out of here. Take our black asses out of here. Take our black asses out of here. Take our 
bus catcher and kill all these crackers. We gon' kill you, kill you back as you can kill you. Oh, niggas. Out of These people just need to flat out go away. Abolition. 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 Man, you just heard the Kenosha, Wisconsin sheriff ranting about warehousing black people, stopping them from procreating, and that was followed by Boondock's Catch a Freeman song, the complete song. Yusuf? Max. Oh, goodness, Max. Like, you know, I... I saw the video, you know, of the sheriff doing that, and I was like, okay, this has to be some kind of parody. You know, they're going to jump in and say, live from New York, you know, you know, it's just unconscionable that someone in the position of a sheriff feels bold enough to even come out and say that, because I'm not going to lie to myself and think that they don't think that. There are many sheriffs and police officers out there and judges and prosecutors that don't think that way. Are you going in and out? Blatantly come out and say it. So I'm just going to go with my speaker. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. Okay, yeah, I just took the headphones off, so we didn't even have to deal with that. But just just hearing a sheriff say it out loud, because like I said, they think this, I'm I'm sure. Judges, prosecutors, sheriffs, police officers, you know, district attorneys, you know, they have these thoughts in their minds, but to even – feel safe enough to just come out and say something like that is just unfathomable, you know, just warehouse them. And then we know, you know, of course, the disclaimer, you know, the one black friend disclaimer, I don't care what race it is. Like, we know that that's a lie because the statistics prove it's a lie. You know, we know what that actually means because they always speak in coded language, you know, but yeah, that was devastating, Max, to hear that. Yeah, it certainly is. And, you know, he said warehouse, specifically used the word warehousing. And I want to tell some of the stats about what they're already doing in Wisconsin with warehousing. But before that, I just want to cover a few points that you just heard. You know, he said put them in for the rest of their lives. And what what was the crimes he was talking about putting them in for the rest of their lives? If you didn't finish high school was one of them. You you did hear that, right? Right. and he specifically said that he wants to stop these men from making 10 babies with 10 different women. Basically, he's talking about a genocide because they ain't making no 10 babies with 10 women. He just don't want them to procreate. And he was talking about uh, torturing them. You say, you know, no recreational, nothing, bread and water, beat them in the head twice a day and put them in with some dude you know going to rape them. I mean, he didn't say all of that, but that's basically what he was talking about. Make their lives as miserable as possible. And, of course, he said they're garbage people, disposable people, man. We're in a society where we have a sheriff of a town that is currently going through one of the biggest protests that you've ever seen talking about people being disposable, garbage people. 
Um, yeah, he's the only garbage people that I know about. I want to read some of these this data in regards to what's happening already in Wisconsin. Uh, bear with me for a minute. I'm kind of scrolling through our research form in order to get to it. So uh, if you want to add a comment or two in the meantime, you should go ahead and do that until I find this. Okay. I just, you know, on the, on the topic of warehousing, you know, we're going to have certain articles that we'll have up on our page for our listeners. You know, of course you visit abolition today and make sure you also visit our YouTube page for all kinds of it. information, news, videos, everything. And make sure you get a chance. You go to Spotify, you go to Apple podcast, you go to Stitcher, Castbox FM, follow all abolition right. today. And with that, I turn it back over to Max. Uh, a few years ago, I did a series called Ferguson is America, where I uh, investigated each state, state by state, their relationships to prisons, their budgets, their racial rates of incarceration, things like that. Let me tell you what we found out about Wisconsin. First of all, their state constitution does allow for legalized slavery. It says in uh, Declaration of Rights, slavery prohibited, Section 2. There shall be neither slavery nor involuntary servitude in this state. Ta-da! Otherwise, then for the punishment of a crime where the party shall have been duly convicted. Uh, population in 2014 was 5.7 million. Of that 5.7 million, 88.1% were white people. It's a majority white state. Black or African American alone only represented 6.5%. Hispanic and Latino were 6.3%. And American natives were 1.1%. Now, here is the prison and jail incarceration rates, rate of incarceration per 100,000 based on race. White, for every 100,000, is 414. Black, for every 100,000, is 4,416. So, in a state with only 6.5% African-American populations, blacks are being incarcerated at a rate of 10 to 1. 10 to 1. That's the data. All right. Uh, we only got a few minutes, and I want to get into some of this uh, warehousing bodies, really, information. We're going to provide a lot of that on our website. Uh, but when it comes to warehousing bodies, I can probably express it very simply. Um Convict leasing, as many are aware, was the extension of chattel slavery. It happened during the Reconstruction period, but it had been put into place long before that, as far back as 1777 with the original uh, abolition of slavery in the state of Vermont. They were the first ones that put an exception clause into their state constitution in order to exploit prison labor. But over the years, prison uh, uh, slave labor, convict leasing as it was known, was frowned upon not only by uh, the world, but America was forced to abandon it uh, and abolish it. But you know, they never do anything like that. They don't abolish anything. They just change it around. And here in the uh, 21st century, the newest form of this convict leasing is warehousing bodies, where for everybody that lays in a bed cell, the state gets X amount of dollars in order to maintain them. Those prices vary from anywhere up to from $30,000 a year in places like Florida, all the way up to $337,000 a year in states like New York. So it's literally a bounty on your head to be able to capture you like they did with Khalif Browder, put you into Rikers Island like they did with Khalif Browder, 
and just collect money on you being there every year. We're talking the tune of a third of a million dollars a year. They don't have any money to give you if you're poor. They don't have any money to give you if you can't pay rent like right now with the COVID going on. But commit one crime, and all of a sudden you're worth a third of a million dollars a year. They're willing to invest in you and you alone immediately. And this warehousing of body provides an economic development program that many cities, states, counties have adopted. And not just in the United States, but worldwide. Many states have adopted this prison as an economic development program process that was created here in the United States. It's why we have the largest prison population in the history of humanity on planet Earth right now, because what we're doing is warehousing these bodies. So you don't have to work. That's gravy for them. It is certainly a multi-billion dollar industry, but you don't have to work. The brunt of their money just comes from you sitting on a cell. And if for prisons, those stocks are sold worldwide. So if you buy stock into CoreCivic or the GEO Group or G4S, what you are really buying is the fact that those prisons that they create are filled with human beings. So you're buying human beings. We've even seen videos uh, that came out from, I believe it was Brave New World, Immigrants for Sale, where they showed a clip where someone had snuck into an auction where the auctioneers were selling the prison. And while they were selling the prison, the selling point that they offered the potential buyers with bidding starting at $5 million was that the prison would always be filled with plenty of people to do any job that you wanted them to do. No matter what your business is, what type of labor you're looking for, we promise to keep this prison filled at all times. That was the selling point. And the bidding started at $5.5 million. That's warehousing bodies in the United States today. And we see it throughout these prisons, throughout these uh, jails, especially the jails. There's articles that we've been looking through this week where it shows the jails are so overcrowded that you see men sleep, six, seven men sleeping next to a toilet in a room built for one person. You got them turning auditoriums into cells. You got tent cities. Uh, we have reported on stories where in Texas, uh, they had a tent city out there that was built to hold 600 people. But at the time of the uprising, which did occur, a prison riot, they had uh, nearly 10 times that many people in the tent city living outside. <laughs> 10 times that many. Wouldn't you want to riot too? <laughs> so warehousing bodies is the newest version of convict leasing. But it doesn't mean that convict leasing has ended by any stretch of the imagination. They still use convict leasing. Many states all across America use prison labor to create and manufacture goods sold on the open market. In California, they have twice as many factories as they do prisons inside the prisons. Here in South Carolina, at one point, the women's prison, they were making Victoria's Secret. Another prison that we know of was sewing on the Made in America tags on clothing. And another prison was making American flags. How ironic is that? The prisoners making American flags, badges for the cops. They make the armbands they wear. They make uniforms. They even participate in making missile components. And all of it for pennies and dollars. Some places, nothing at all. Like in Alabama and Texas, they're not, they weren't required to pay you anything until recently when Congress had to approve a three cents an hour payment for prisoners in Alabama. That's how warehousing bodies works here in the United States and across the globe in 2020. Yusuf? 
That's 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 amazing, Max. Just uh those numbers that you laid out there. And I didn't even know about that three cents. You know, like they they actually took up taxpayer time to discuss only paying three cents an hour. Yeah. You know. Like they did something. I guess they really feel as though they did something. I see we have uh our caller. Yes that as well. Uh, I'm expecting, I believe it's Janet Lee is going to call in and explain to us what's happening with the Free the 13th movement. Did you have any more commentary on the uh, the warehousing bodies or you want to save it for later when we get back into it? Since uh, I, I believe you had her call in at 745, so we're right at that yes, time. Sir. All right, all right. Well, I'm going to um, mute you. Uh, Janet Lee, I believe you're on air here on Abolition Today. Welcome. Well, Thank you. Good to have you here. I'm very excited about what you guys are doing. From the very first day that I was invited uh, to, uh, you know, talk with the brothers and sisters and maybe our consultation on circumstances, uh, just seeing what you put together of your, I mean, I did, I did the love in your heart for your family and, and, and community because, it, you know, the only gain is freedom at this point, right? So I was very inspired. Right. Could you tell us? A little bit about it, what the name of it is, who's really behind putting this thing together, what's going to happen, those types of things. Sure. Um, the name of it is Free the 13th. It's going to be a nationwide event, which means we're going to have feet on the ground in every single state at the same time on the same day. Um, that will be on the fifth day. This is actually a five-day event. On the first four days, we will have virtual rallies via Zoom. And then on the fifth day is when we're actually going to be on ground, passing out pamphlets, talking to people, um, trying to educate people who aren't aware of the uh, 13th Amendment and what it causes, you know, the the thing behind it. Um, I think a lot of people, and myself included, you know, I just thought abolish the Thirteenth Amendment, and then I then I thought about it. Well, you can't abolish it because if you do, that makes us all slaves again. Um, Subject to yes. So, right, right. So, um, so our our thing is we want to make people aware. We want to educate uh, what the Thirteenth Amendment is, what it says, and why it's wrong. What can be done to fix it. Even though it is a process, we can do this. And we also want to be able to talk to people. Um, the reason we chose this date is because it's right before voting. And so we want to talk to people about the importance of voting and about knowing who you're voting for and what they're going to do for the criminal justice reform. Yes, that's that's pretty awesome. I, I, I was uh, able to also add some information in the group in regards to the process of changing the 13th Amendment. So repeal and replace is the way to go. It's the only way to go. Mm -hmm. The same thing we had to do with the 18th Amendment on prohibition, and it became the 21st Amendment. So that's what we're looking to do with this 13th Amendment, go from it being the 13th Amendment to a potential candidate for the 28th Amendment. And that will legally abolish slavery on a federal level. But also you guys are educating people about state to state changes using a couple of the models that we have been promoting here on Abolition Today, that being Colorado, 
which removed its exception clause successfully in 2018, and New Jersey, which is inserting anti-slavery language into their constitution for 2021. Yes? Right. Right. Yes, we are. In fact, I've been uh, talking to a lady all day long about uh, how this process works. And and honestly, I'm just so thrilled to hear you talk about it because, like I said, I didn't even know this. And, and I've been working in criminal justice reform for 24 years. Um, so, you know, it really is a big deal that people, a lot of people just don't know about it. And um, – and, yes, we are going to work. We're going to have people in each state that are going to be knowledgeable for their particular state, you know, what their state clauses are to the amendment and things of that nature. And they can, you know, be able to discuss their particular states with the citizens of that state. So it's really it's really exciting. You know, we're going to be, like mm-hmm. I said, Feet, up, feet on the ground, going through neighborhoods. We're going to be standing outside of Walmart. Uh, we're going to be do, doing whatever it takes to reach people on that day. That's awesome. Uh, where can uh, the what website can people go to to support? I know you have a Facebook group that people can join in and help uh, con- con- contribute to the efforts. Right. There is a Facebook page. It's called the uh, Free the 13th National Rally. Um, and I just got the website set up last night. And please forgive me, I cannot remember that website. I should have written it down. That's okay. Um, um, just people, make sure you follow us on Abolition Today. We'll provide you with that information as soon as it's available. In the okay. meantime, you can join the Facebook group, which is Free the 13th National Rally. Am I correct, or did I miss a word? That's it. Free to 13th That's National it. Rally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a Facebook page. Um, Go ahead. I, w- I was just going to say, everybody's welcome to join it. Uh, they can message me privately or, um, you know, I have an email address, phone number, whatever whatever they need. I'm willing to share all that information. That, that is awesome. Uh, I want to ask a quick question. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm aware, but I would love for you to tell the people that a lot of the organizers behind this are really behind bars right now, correct? That is correct. Um, Plus, Positive Leaders United in Solidarity. Uh, The founder of PLUS is actually behind bars right now. And a lot of people um, who are contributing to this event are. Um, And it's amazing the work that they can do being in the situation that they're in. Um, But I've learned a lot from them. You know, I had a national event two weeks ago, and it, and it was nation. It went nationwide. But uh, a lot of the people who helped to organize that event were actually behind behind bars. Behind bars, and it, you know, yes, it's amazing. Uh, it is absolutely it, amazing the work that they can do. I don't think none of us are trying to bring anyone false hope. Uh, those who are organizing. Uh, both behind bars and organizations outside working with them do this because they believe this is the path we should take. We've tried everything else 10 times or more. You never tried to end slavery because you never recognized it was even there. As Janet just described, it's no shame to admit that you didn't know. 
But once you know, you have to change your mind. When you're presented with new evidence, I change my mind. What do you do? <laughs> right. Right. You know, exactly. And, you know, I was just reading, you know, I was, I've was i been studying this ever since uh, I think I listened to you a little bit last Sunday in the, in the, the uh, group meeting. And so I've been studying this, and I was just reading a few minutes ago that states would not be able to incarcerate as many people as they do without this subsidy of cost. California, for instance, you know, they're saving $100 million a year by having the incarcerated, by recruiting the incarcerated people to to be firefighters. Uh, it's actually more and, closer to a billion dollars a year in salaries. Uh, really? Kamala Harris oh, yeah. said that in a press release back in 2016, I think it was, when she was addressed with that question. And she said California can't afford not to use prison labor to fight forest fires because it would cost us a billion dollars a year in salaries. Wow. Wow. That's just crazy. You know, so many people who are not dangerous to society and could be successful citizens should they be released, could be released. You know, there. this is the funding of the mass incarceration right here. Yes, yes. And the majority of prisoners, contrary to popular belief, are not violent rapists and murderers and pedophiles and all the things that scare you at night and keep you up. But right. the majority of prisoners right. are there for nonviolent, drug-related, poverty-related, uh, three strikes, mandatory minimum, uh, inability to afford proper counsel, or just plain old hustle through an illegal, unconstitutional, 95% rate plea bargain. So the majority of the people in there should have never been in there to begin with. The reason they're there is because our justice system targets the innocent and the guilty alike, and it's all for profit and control. Janet? It absolutely is. You said a, a complete mouthful right there, and and it's the whole truth. It is the whole truth. Um, there are too many people that are in prison right now that should not be. You know, if they're in for a drug-related crime, give them rehab. Don't lock them up. Um, and, and you're right. The majority of the people are nonviolent, and they could be contributing to the communities if they were could set free. Very well. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, in 2017, more people were in, arrested for personal possession of marijuana than for all violent crimes combined. So the next time somebody says to you, don't do the crime if you can't do the time, think about what I just told you. <laughs> For marijuana, right. personal possession of marijuana, than all violent crimes combined. Which, uh, Jenna, I, I really appreciate you coming in here and sharing the information and inspiring others. This is an actionable event for everybody listening right now. You can get involved. You can go join the group. You can start being boots on the ground for this five-day period to make things happen. And if you happen to be in a state that is already making moves to remove their exception clause or to put anti-slavery language into their state constitution, then please represent that. I'm talking about Utah. I'm talking about Arkansas. I'm talking about Tennessee. I'm talking about Georgia. I'm talking about Ohio and all the states that have come on board the Abolished Slavery National Network. So please get involved. Here's your opportunity. Uh, any final comments you want to make, Janet, before we go into our music break? 
Um, no, just that I will get that uh, website address to you. Again, the Facebook page is the Free the 13th National Rally, and they can contact me on Facebook, Janet Lee, or I also have a number that they can call. It's 540-958-1847. Thank you so much. God bless. I'll be there all the way, and I'm going to uh, do my best to get the Abolish Slavery National Network to not only endorse what you're doing, but also to throw some money your way, too. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Take care, Janet. Uh, continue to listen as long as you can. I know you got a meeting program. I'll talk to you later, okay? Okay. Okay, thank Bye-bye. you. Thanks, Janet. All right. Well, there you have it, Yusuf, actionable uh, information that you can uh, work on right now, right? So. Lord, Dennis Fibo is calling me during the show. Dennis, don't do that, bro. How are you going to do that to me? All right, let me hang up there. You know what? Since we're getting ready to go into the music break, maybe speak to him during the break. Maybe he has some breaking news for us. Um, Yeah, I'll, I'll reach him on the phone during the music break. I'll call him. But let me go ahead and introduce the music break. Uh, if there's any confusion about what we've been talking about, we brought in some professionals <laughs> to explain this to you so you get it. And, you know, I like to put together my little Max Mixes. So uh, this particular Max Mix uh, is called the Secretaries of Explaining Things. And things is not the word I'm supposed to be using. It's S-H-T with a, another letter missing. It has a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. in the beginning. Then you have President Obama breaking down the facts, and it's finally concluded with Andrew Young. We're going to play that, and we'll be right back on the other side. Whenever Pharaoh wanted to prolong the period of slavery in Egypt, he had a favorite, favorite formula for doing it. What was that? He kept the slaves fighting among themselves. Soon there will only be the conqueror and the conqueror. Step into the spotlight. You are a good man. Step into the spotlight. With a good heart. And it's hard for a good man to be a king. Well, good afternoon, everybody. And uh, President Clinton, thank you for your very kind introduction, uh, although I have to admit, uh, I really did like uh, the speech a few weeks ago a little bit better. Now, afterwards, somebody tweeted that uh, somebody needs to make him Secretary of Explaining Things. Although they didn't use the word thing. And today I want to discuss an issue that ought to concern every person. Because it is a debasement of our common humanity. It ought to concern every community. Because it tears at our social fabric. It ought to concern every business because it distorts markets. It ought to concern every nation because it endangers public health and fuels violence and organized crime. 
I'm talking about the injustice, the injustice, the outrage, the outrage of human trafficking, of human trafficking, which must be called by its true name, modern slavery. Modern slavery. Now, I, I do not uh, use that I word use that slavery word. lightly. It evokes, obviously, one of the most painful chapters in our nation's history. But around the world, there's no denying the awful reality. When a man desperate for work finds himself in a factory or on a fishing boat or in a field, working, toiling for little or no pay and beaten if he tries to escape, that is slavery. That is slavery. When a woman is locked in a sweatshop or trapped in a home as a domestic servant, alone and abused, and incapable of leaving, that's slavery. When a little boy is kidnapped, turned into a child soldier, forced to kill or be killed, that's slavery. When a little girl is sold by her impoverished family, Girls my daughter's age. Runs away from home or is lured by the false promise of a better life and then imprisoned in a brothel and tortured if she resists. That's slavery. That's slavery. It is barbaric and it is evil. It has no place in the civilized world. Now, as a nation, as a nation, As a nation, we've long rejected such cruelty. Just a few days ago, we marked the 150th anniversary of a document that I have hanging in the Oval Office, the Emancipation Proclamation. And I've got the Emancipation Proclamation hanging up in my office. Uh, and if you read through it, it turns out that uh, most of it, most of the document is those states and areas where the Emancipation doesn't apply because those folks are allied with the Union, so they can keep their slaves. Think about that. That's the Emancipation Proclamation, right? Which you, so here you've got a wartime president who's making a compromise around probably the greatest moral issue that the country ever faced because he understood that right now my job is to win the war and to keep, uh, to maintain the Union. Well, you know, can you imagine how sort of uh, the Huffington Post would have reported on that? <laughs> right? I mean, it would have been blistering, right? You know? I mean, think about it. Lincoln sells out place. Right? There'd be protests, and you know, run a third party guy. In fact, I heard Martin Luther King say this one time. We were in Virginia, and we were on the balcony of, uh, of an old plantation. It was a conference center where we were having a conference, and uh, they, they set us in these rocking chairs out on the porch, and we were looking out, and it just happened that there were students from University of Virginia uh, who were doing the serving and who were cutting the grass, and it was a good summer job. And Dr. King and I and a few other preachers were laying up there drinking iced tea uh, and rocking back and forth. Look, he, he said, you know, I can see that when you're sitting up here, slavery don't look so bad.
You just heard a Max Mix using the Black Panther music soundtrack. That was the Secretaries of Explaining SHT with quotes and a speech from Martin Luther King Jr., President Obama, and Andrew Young. Yusuf? Peace, Max. Good mix. Uh, they laid out the case. You know, laid and I, 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 I like it's it's clear. It's clear. As it is for everyone, it's just most people are blocked by cognitive dissonance. You know, just like Janet just said, you know, she was working in criminal justice reform for 24 years, and she never knew what was going on. But when it was presented to her, she recognized it for what it is. She didn't fight it. She didn't try to push back and explain it away or any of those things. She accepted it for what it is. Doesn't get much clearer than the argument we present. It's right there in your constitution. Right. Read it. <laughs> That's all you got to do, and then you can count heads around you. Let's look at the prison populations. See what the budget is. We're talking about California. California's budget is like twelve billion dollars for the Department of Justice. We've got one of the biggest right. budgets in the, if not the biggest budget in the whole country, just for the Department of Justice. And you know. One thing that I just came across not long ago was that, you know, we know in in a lot of states, especially a lot of counties, these prisons make up a large percentage of that town or that county's population. You know, for instance, in northern New York, you know, where you have certain places in northern New York like Franklin uh, which is in Franklin, New York, and also up there is uh, Five Points Correctional Facility. They make up almost 30% of the total population of that county. And we know that these that these numbers are used in their census data, and they're used in formulating con- uh, congressional districts. You know, they have all kinds of tricks. Of things that they do with these things. Sorry. No, that's my phone going off. Suddenly, I'm getting a bunch of text messages and phone calls during the program. Like, y'all don't know I'm on air by now. What the hell, man? Oh, go ahead, Jesus. <laughs> no, you know, I was getting ready to stop there because I was like, wait a minute, I didn't even give Max a chance to uh to the, to the music break. You know? <laughs> yeah, no doubt, brother. Uh, well, you know, it was very clear. Uh, it started out with Martin Luther King advising what Pharaoh used to do when the slaves ever decided they was trying to revolt, and he would keep them divided amongst each other. And then the president, when he was the president, was telling everybody exactly what human trafficking and slavery consist of. And no matter how horrible the things that he might have pointed out, we can very well show you that happening within our prison industry right now. Uh, so right. it's right there. And then it concluded with a clip from him talking to university students and explaining to them, I've got the freaking Emancipation Proclamation behind my desk. I see it every single day. And it says right there that you didn't read, this only applies to states in rebellions. It didn't apply to the whole country, just the states in rebellion. And if they hadn't known that, uh, like, you know, 
what these Washington Post is what he used. Imagine if the Washington Post had got that. Uh, Lincoln betrays slavery because that's what they did. So you heard it right there right. from the sources, <laughs> you know? And then to finish it off with uh, Andrew Young talking about the time him and MLK and the rest of these preachers were sitting up there, you know, thinking about how slavery can look good from the other side of the fence. The sad part is that in multiple parts of that video, it was all a big joke. Ha, ha, ha. Funny, funny, funny. It ain't funny to us. You know? It ain't funny to families losing family members. It ain't funny to the people being killed on the street. You know? It's not funny. It's not a joke. It's for real. All right. I was about to go on a tangent. You're getting me pissed off now. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't be bothered by it at all. Sometimes it's just good to get it out. You know, you there know, are human one trafficking thing I, laws. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, brother. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Know, you, go ahead. There's human trafficking laws that are already on the books. And, uh, I mean, they've got plenty of them that is, all the states have agreed upon. So we got one that came, for instance, from ncsl.org. It's human trafficking state laws. And they say that statutory uh, enumerated trafficking activities include, right? These are the things that uh, can identify human trafficking, selling people. Well, we sell people through prisons and stocks and bonds and jail bonds. Stocks are on the open market. Recruiting people to get slaves. Well, what do you think a freaking slave catcher is, a.k.a. the police? Harboring uh, those who are actively involved in the slave trade, transporting people who have been turned into slaves. Uh, there's entire industries in this country that do nothing but that, transport criminals. They're for-profit, private companies who had to testify in front of Congress not too long ago because while they were transporting them, prisoners were ending up disappearing, getting raped on their buses and trains and planes, murdered on their buses and trains and planes, abused on their buses and trains and planes, and they had to testify in front of Congress for that, uh, isolating people away from their society that's part of our system providing uh, for slavers, receiving people as human chattel, holding people, confining, harboring purchasing, profiting, soliciting and depriving liberty all of those fit the description of what we do right now under the 13th amendment and that that's illegal, it's against the freaking law and yet we still do it I'm going to read one quick thing in regards to some major findings about the interstate transfer of prisoners or the practice of transferring incarcerated people to out-of-state prisons. Uh, it's, det- it's detrimental criminal justice policy that really hurts the families. The practice impedes prisoner rehabilitation by diminishing prisoners' ties to family and community and compromising rather than enhancing the public good. Interstate transfer of prisoners to private for-profit prisons serves the interests of an industry that views prisoners as commodities and perpetuates our nation's mass incarceration crisis. Today, there are more than 10,500 state prisoners incarcerated in private for-profit prisons outside of their home state. So I think you read this part about the four states going on there, Yusuf. So I won't repeat that. But, you know, they put them as much as 450 to 3,000 miles away from their home states. So this is exploitative upon the family members, too. So whatever crime you've been convicted of, 
your family wasn't convicted of, but suddenly they got to pay the cost in order to pay the ransom or, or for seeing their loved ones or communicating with them. And we know how exploitative that is. I mean, we're talking about Global Tell Link, for instance, and how much money they charge prisoners to be able to call family members and the exorbitant prices uh, where you have to video conference your loved ones now for what is like $15 for 10 minutes a time. It's ransom and extortion. Yusuf? You're absolutely right. And in fact, you know, remember, we've, we've uh, heard that going on right on our air, on our, on our broadcast. You know, we right. had incarcerated call in, and right in the midst, you know, we have the computerized, you have 60 seconds remaining, you know. So we know, and we've actually broken down the numbers behind all of these things. So one thing that I wanted to discuss when we talk about uh, the warehousing, now, when you think of a warehouse, you know, a warehouse, you get this big facility with a bunch of products, goods, property, whatever, just stacked on top of each other, waiting to be picked up, transferred, however they, whatever their method of uh, operations are. And it may be hard for people really to envision that actually happening to human beings. And that's why I'm glad some of the articles that you have here, Max, actually have these pictures of them, of people just sitting. And it's the one where the guy's in the orange jumpers, you know, and it's about five or six of them in a very small, tight space. This is like a, a holding area for people getting ready to go to court or something. They usually have them like that, where the attorney comes up and speaks to them, you know, before they go in, and everybody can hear their business. There's no privacy between, you know, the uh, attorney, client, privilege, or any of that stuff. The conversation is going on right in front of the other people that are actually being stored there because it just looks like a locker, like something where you would put your coats or put your boots and your umbrellas and everything. And so... That's what's going on, and it's become so bad. The prisons have become so overcrowded that here's a shell game that they're doing now, Max, where you have county jails actually housing state prisoners. That their their means of quote unquote solving overcrowding is to just send them to county jails. And you have some county jails where, in fact, in Louisiana, <laughs> Louisiana prisons are so overcrowded that more than half the state's prisoners can't fit in them and have to be sent to serve their sentences in county jails instead, where they occupy more than 75% of the beds normally reserved for local detainees awaiting trial or serving short sentences. In Mississippi, they make up 55% of jail beds. In Kentucky, they make up 45%. You mm-hmm. know, and it's just a, the, the numbers are amazing. Arkansas, 41%. Tennessee, 30%. Oklahoma, 25%. 
Utah, 25%. We had you know, the state representative on the call last week. You know, I wish I had that information then so we could discuss that. You know, the 25 mm-hmm. of their jails house state prisoners. Now, for those who don't know the difference between being in a county jail and being in prison, most county jails, you know, just have they have dorms depending on you know the uh, security you level. Far away. Yeah, I don't know what's going on because I don't even have my go. headphones. That's and better. I'm speaking into. That's better. But the uh, jails have dorms for lower uh, security. And for the higher security, you know, they may have cells or whatever. But the, one of the main things that happens in county jails is just people are just sitting there. Like there's not a lot of work going on. You know, maybe someone works in the laundry or they work in, you know, the uh, kitchen or something of that nature. But that's usually people who are county sentenced inmates. But for the rest of the prison population, they're just on the dorm, just sitting there. You know, and of course, people say, oh, well, they can watch TV and they can play cards, play chess. But they're just sitting there. And when it's a state inmate in the county jail, it's far worse for them because they can't even interact with the county jail inmates. And so most of them are restricted to cells for 23 hours a day. And they get to come out and whatever they're going to do, they only get an hour to do it. Shower, you know, mm-hmm. uh, phone calls. And then they're just right on back shelf. in. And so they're just sitting on a shelf 23 hours a day. As opposed to where if they were in a state prison, and I'm not advocating for state prisons, but they would at least be able to move around to be able to breathe fresh air, go to the yard, something. But the county jail, you know, these are really, you know, five, six-story office buildings, basically, that have been converted to jails. And they're just warehoused there. So we have all these states. I actually have a list of the 15 states with over 10% of the local jail population was made up of people serving state or federal prison sentences. Yeah, you gave out about eight or ten of them already, yep. Yeah, it's it's just amazing, you know, as to what they're doing. And, you know, it's just so so many articles out there that just talk about it, where they talk about how jails have become warehouses for the poor, the ill and the addicted. You know, so it's not like anything that we're saying is a secret. There's plenty of stuff being written about it. Human trafficking and prison labor. You know, that's a really good article that we'll have up and <clears throat> excuse me they address why prison labor is a problem and they say in many cases incarcerated individuals have no choice but to participate in work programs that enrich the private prison companies or the state and local governments operating the facility they are mandated to work unless medically unable and it says in some cases Work program, prison work programs are voluntary, meaning that the incarcerated people can choose not to participate. But the choice looks a lot like coercion to people who are in dire financial need 
or who are threatened with physical harm if they do not perform the work. Or solitary confinement. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, loss of rec, loss of phone privileges, loss of visit, Mm -hmm. loss of computation time. You know, so it's a lot of things that can happen. So when they say voluntary, that looks good on paper. But that's not what really happens. I mean, I'll give you an example. You know, people have work details. And, you know, each jail has like a code for whatever their work detail is. But one guy was telling me where he's in a New Jersey prison and he's on, I think, 208. And 208 is responsible for uh, mowing the lawns and everything. But he got into an incident where it was snowing and they called out whatever the code is for those that are on snow detail to go out and snow. And the officer was telling him to go do it. And he said, well, look, I'm on 208. I'm not on, you know, snow detail. And then he told him, well, I'm giving you a direct order to go do it. See, that's how they get around it. Mm -hmm. There's no defense for when an officer gives you a direct direct order. Remember a couple weeks ago, Yusuf, when we talked about Uh Angola? And the prisoners were being forced to work during COVID out there amongst each other in the cotton fields in Angola. And when they said, no, this uh, block isn't doing it, why should we have to do it? The freaking guards marched them out there at gunpoint to do the labor. Right. But they'll say that they volunteered to do it. That's what they'll say, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's around when they give you a direct order. That's an actual write-up, disobeying a direct order. You know, sort of like we see what goes on with the police department, you know, and you can just ask an officer, well, you know, well, why are you stopping me? Or, you know, why do I have to give you my name? Or why do I have to show you my ID? And his answer is because I said so. See, that's, it, it carries over. You know, that you, you don't have a right, you know, to, to give any type of pushback. You don't have any rights, but, period. Yeah, once once you get hit exactly. with that 13th Amendment exception clause, you no longer have any constitutional rights or even any human rights. And that carries on Absolutely. after you get out. Absolutely. Hey, uh, you so, said, I know you, I, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I know you did want to share a couple of those letters that we had got. So be cognitive of that, if you don't mind. Oh, right. Man, time is really going, Max. I didn't really realize that we're almost at 830. <laughs> Man, it's a quick paced show, bro. It's a program that we just be dropping them jewels and keeping it moving. I don't know how this time went so fast. We have a lot of information to share and we're gonna have it up on on our page uh between today and tomorrow for those who'd like to go read the articles rather than, you know, me just sitting here uh regurgitating what's in the articles. People can go look at it for themselves. And I, I really want to get into these letters because I love feedback from our listeners. You know, and so anyone that's out there listening that wants to give us feedback, you can inbox us uh, on our Abolition Today page, or you can send an email to abolitionistcenter at gmail.com. That's abolitionist with the I-S-T at the end of abolition, abolitionistcenter at gmail.com and so I'm gonna let me scroll down to it Max to find these you want me to start one off for you give you a minute to find it 
then I also have to check a, a a text that I just got to see if someone was just texting texting me some feedback. Okay, right, well, yes, you can uh, read the first one. This one came from Georgia Crowley, and she's a listener, and she said, "Hello, I really appreciate all the hard work you guys do." and have been doing for mm-hmm. so long. Your podcast is so informative and awesome. I love the music mixes and the way the information is presented. I have skills with graphic design, and so I just want to put it out there that if you've ever, you're ever in need of anything graphic, I would love to help out. Thank you so much for doing what you do, Georgia Crowley. And, you know, I've been in communication with her. I said, you know, we do need some graphic help. We want people to snatch parts of our program in small clips, a minute to five minutes, put some graphics with it, maybe a little bit of video presentation in it, and upload it and send us the links so we can share them with people. If you have a favorite moment, snatch it off the program and uh, add some graphics to it and put it on a YouTube link, and we'll definitely air it or share it throughout our network. So thank you, Georgia Crowley. Looking forward to seeing what you send us. Yusuf? Yeah, I have one here. This one is really amazing. It's a little long, so I'm going to read through it quickly, but it's it's really good. So let me get into it. The inhumanity of our prisons is, in fact, a crime against humanity. Disproportionate charging, verdicts, and sentences based on race are a crime against humanity. Slavery is a crime against humanity, and thus prison slave labor is a crime against humanity. The prison slave issue is one is the one closest to having a solution, consisting of removing the 13th Amendment's exception in various ways. Therefore, that's the first one to rally around. Every instance in which we stand up against crimes against humanity, taking them in the order of which one is likely to yield with the least time and effort, the more we are affirming and creating within our, within our society the general rule that crimes against humanity must go. Those that seem impossible now, such as the design of our economy to create a permanent percent of the country as an underclass without the resources to thrive or even survive, become doable by the time we get there. There are two major schools of thought in strategic planning of which goals to change to pick first. One is the populist perspective, that which affects the most people directly or indirectly. The other is a win counts more than an idea perspective. The populist perspective ignores the reality of ally fatigue. The struggles goes on and on and on. The get a win perspective avoids the fatigue factor because by definition it focuses on getting wins now. What it suffers from is the need to rally allies to the cause. That requires a special effort, as by definition is not an issue that has the visibility and degree of connection with potential allies. That's where the abolitionist center and the abolished slavery national network make the difference. Every movement needs a place and a face, and that's what they provide. It's happening. And this is from Hank Fay. Thank you, Hank. Yeah, he's right on point with it, man, for sure. Ally fatigue is a thing. We're tired of fighting, losing battles. Let's get some wins under our belt. We've never done this before. Let's do it and see what happens. I mean, who's out there can look at me and say, well, I would vote to keep slavery in the Constitution. Like, really? 
For real, even if it's just symbolic, how is it a problem? How? Explain that to me. Because it ain't symbolic, but even if it was, how would that be a problem? Thank you, Harry. That was awesome. Um, yeah, that really was. There's one more that I got in. Touching for me, very personal, because these brothers know firsthand the work that we put in. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, what we do here is the surface of what we really do, okay? So this came in from Brother Ive Kilgore, and he said, on behalf of the countless women, men, and children who have suffered as a result of their imprisonment or that of a loved one, I thank you for your service and support. It is truly humbling knowing that you take time out of your day to dedicate your energy, resources, and skills to fight on behalf of those like myself who are trapped in America's gulags. Words cannot express the level of gratitude we feel knowing you are advocating in partnership with us and on our behalf to bring about prison reform, abolition, fair sentencing, exposure to the many injustices within the national criminal justice system, etc. I'm deeply humbled and elevated to have connected with you. That said, I ask of you to assist with elevating the many hidden voices behind these walls, fences, and concrete mausoleums by making a contribution to our 100 books published literary program. Uh, Please consider volunteering, making a donation, connecting with uh, us and publishing professionals, and or simply sharing this GoFundMe, which we will be doing, sharing that GoFundMe. And I think he meant that last part for our listening audience to hear here as well <clears throat> so if you can help help um thank you I, I appreciate that brother you know solidarity man solidarity God, glory to god because i'm just a messenger yusuf and i'm <laughs> i'm emotional brother <laughs> <laughs> i feel that brother. I, I mean, it's like, for the most part it's just you and i here talking and when we don't get the feedback, then we don't really know. I mean, I know the effect of what we're putting out there. I know it. But it's all, you know, every now and then for someone to just say, hey, man, I appreciate what you're doing. Not that I'm in it for that. I'm but not yeah, in it for that at all. You need to be lifted up just like everybody else. You need yeah. to be inspired just like anybody else. You know, yeah. This is why, you know, when we we grow and you know I, I eventually finish our website and we can broadcast live from our own website if someone was just telling me she lost the feed you know things will be operating a lot better and maybe we'll have more callers at that time where people just call in you know just to say hey hey I'm listening in and I'm enjoying you know what I'm hearing and so Oh, Shantae Natterville. Peace, Shantae. Uh, I already know the name. Yeah, comment on on the uh, Abolition Today page. You know, when she was listening in the beginning, I just happened to notice that. Then she said something happened to the sound broadcast. I don't know. I'm hoping uh, that's just on her. I'm hoping uh, it's not on so. ours. Uh, according to the board, we're on live, so it looks good on this side. Let's just hope that it was a disconnect in her service somehow. But let's right. uh, go continue on like everything is going fine, <laughs> you know, like everything's going fine. So 
we're at the point now where we want to do the summation of the program. So, if I was to sum things up, and I think uh, Hank did a great summation of the program, just in what he wrote, where he said, slavery is a crime against humanity. And as you often say, Max, you cannot reform a crime against humanity. But slavery is a crime against
the 16th century onward, and we know that it also was brought here to the United States. And the only difference between slavery as it exists under the 13th Amendment Exception Clause and chattel slavery is that it's not automatically passed on through generations, but we know how hard they work at that. When we can say that one in three blacks will face incarceration or they know how many jail cells to have or jail beds to have by the time a person reaches the third grade. You know, so although it's not from birth as in chattel chattel slavery, but they're pretty close to it. So I just wanted to add that portion there, Max. All right, brother. All right. I want to give a quick quick shout out to some of our sponsors, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak. And just to point something out, this program right here, uh, I was requested prisoners to put a program like this together. They named the program Abolition Today, and they uh, fiscally paid for us to have this program on Blog Talk Radio. I'm talking about the prisoners did that for Abolition Today. So shout out to Jailhouse Lawyers Speak. The I Am We Prison Advocacy Network, Same Urge Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, and Prismatic Dreams. Uh, we're coming to the part of our program where we give you a little quote to think about throughout the week, something that's relevant to what we've just been talking about throughout this program. Uh, and after we provide you with those quotes, uh, we are going to go into our Bridging the Gap segment. You do not want to miss that one. Man, that had me all in my feelings. I'm trying to tell you. But you said we'll end up introducing that. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, start my quote, and then uh, Yusuf, you'll do yours. So when elders, when our elders presented school to us, they did not present it as a place of high learning but as a means of escape from death and penal warehousing. Tanisha Coates, Between the World and Me. Yusuf? Wow. (laughs) So here's my quote. Slavery, like all other great systems of wrong, founded in the depths of human selfishness and existing for ages, has not neglected its own conservation. It has steadily exerted an influence upon all around it favorable to its own continuance. Frederick Douglass, Reconstruction. My man, Fred. All right, this is my sign-out period, so I'm going to say my goodbyes to everybody, and then we're going to get into the uh, Bridging the Gap segment, and I want to sit back and listen with everybody else. This is my favorite part. Uh, this has been Max Parthas. I know you could have been anywhere, but you were here tonight listening, and uh, I really appreciate that. I firmly believe that knowledge makes someone unfit to be a slave. So that's what I'm doing here today is helping to make you unfit to be a slave, and you in turn can do the same thing for others simply by sharing the information that you got from us here, uh, abolitiontoday.org. Uh, peace, and God go with you. Thank you. Later, Yusuf. Catch you on the uh, Next day, brother. Peace, Max. Thank you. Thank you for all your input this evening. We're going to get into our final segment. It's entitled Bridging the Gap. We have legendary spoken word artist Tribal Rain reading A Plea for the Oppressed by abolitionist 
Lucy Stanton. This is part two, followed by Eden Inspirations, Sound of Freedom, featuring Lizzie Ladigan and Alton Eugene. We'll be back September 13th, inshallah, God willing. Until then, remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us and to subscribe to our Abolition Today YouTube page for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program. Also, archives of all of our broadcasts can be listened to on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, and on CastBox FM. Until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you. Abolition Abolition. Abolition. Death breathes upon the flower and is gone. Now thou canst feel for the slave mother who is bent with the same interest over her child, whose heart is entwined around it even more firmly than thine own around thine. For to her, it is the only ray of joy in a dreary world. She returns weary and sick at the heart from the labors of the field. The child's beaming smile of welcome half banishes the misery of her lot. Would she not die for it? Ye who knows the depths of a mother's love, answer. Hark, strange footsteps are near her dwelling. The door is thrown rudely open. Her master says, there's the woman. She comprehends it all. She is sold. From her trembling lips escape the words, my child. She throws herself at the feet of those merciless men and pleads permission to keep her babe, but in vain. What is she more than any other slave that she should be permitted this favor? They are separated. Sister, have you ever had a kind and loving brother? How often would he lay aside his book to relieve you from some difficulty? How, ha- how have you hung upon the words of wisdom that he has uttered? How earnestly have you studied that you might stand his companion, his equal? You saw him suddenly stricken by the destroyer, and oh, how your heart ached. There was a slave girl who had a brother kind and noble as your own. He had scarcely any advantages, yet stealthily would he draw an old volume from his pocket and through the long night would pour over its contents. His soul thirsted for knowledge. He yearned for freedom, but free soil was far away. That sister might not go, he stayed with her. They say that slaves do not feel for or love each other. I fear that there are few brothers with a pale face who would have stood that test. For her, he tamed the fire in his eyes, toiled for that which profited him not, and labored so industriously that the overseer had no apology for applying the lash to his back. Time passed on. That brother stood in his manhood's prime as tenderly kind and as dearly loved as ever. That sister was insulted. The lash was applied to her quivering back. Her brother rushed to save her. 
He tore her away from the fastenings which bound her to the whipping post. He held her on his arm. She was safe. She looked up and counted the ferocious glaze of the overseers, heard the report of a pistol, and felt the heart's blood of a brother gushing over her. But we draw the veil. Mother, sister, by thy own deep sorrow of heart, by the sympathy of thy woman's nature, plead for the downtrodden of thy own, of every land, and still the principles of love, of common brotherhood in the nursery, in the social circle. Let these be the prayer of thy life. Christians, you whose souls are filled with love for your fellow man, whose prayer to the Lord is, oh, that I might see the salvation among the children of men. Does the battle wax warm? Dost thou faint with the burden and heat of the day? Yet a little longer, the arm of the Lord is mighty to save those who trust in him. Truth and right must prevail. The bondsman shall go free. Look to the future. Hark, the shout of joy gushes from the heart of earth's freed millions. It rushes upward. The angel on heaven's outward battlements catch the sound on the golden lyres and send it trilling through the echoing arches of the upper world. How sweet, how majestic. From those starry isles float these deep, inspiring sounds of the oceans of space. Softened and mellowed, they reach earth, filling the soul of harmony and breathing of God, of love, and of universal freedom. The darkness has to pass. The light has come at last. And we will take our stand with open hearts and willing hands. And we will see freedom for all. Tell the prison walls to fall. We'll respond and hear their call. Oh, oh, oh. And we will not stop till we see every precious one of these. Rescue from the slavery.
Abolition. 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 Abolition.